0: Thank you so much for joining us for Ankeny Gospel Church Podcast. On this podcast, you can find sermons, classes, and other resources that continue to invite us into the mission of Jesus and the journey of faith. We hope this is a blessing to you, and if we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out. Hello, my name is Randy, and today's scripture reading is from Matthew 10, 26-42. Therefore, don't be afraid of them, since there is nothing covered that won't be uncovered and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. What you hear in a whisper, proclaim on the housetops. Don't fear those who kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent. But even the hairs of your head have all been counted. Don't be afraid, therefore. You are worth more than many sparrows. Therefore, everyone who acknowledge me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. Don't assume that I came to bring peace on the earth I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. The person who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The person who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Anyone finding his life will lose it, and anyone losing his life because of me will find it. The one who welcomes you welcomes me, and the one who welcomes me welcomes him who sent me. Anyone who welcomes a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, and anyone who welcomes a righteous person because he's righteous will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives just a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is a disciple, I assure you, he will never lose his reward. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: You guys can go ahead and take a seat. Let's exchange greetings this morning. Good morning morning welcome uh welcome to worship welcome to church it is a as tom said earlier as we just sung about it is a joy to be here and worship with you all i know i'm encouraged every week as well uh if you haven't already i invite you to take your copy of the scriptures and turn to matthew chapter 10 matthew chapter 10 and if you have a book just keep it open to chapter 10 we're kind of going to be going through a lot of chapter 10 but we're going to start in verse 26 And uh, I just want to continue this posture of worship and prayer. Um, We were just singing about how our Lord reigns and how he is the God uh, who was, who is, and who is to come. So would you join me in just opening your hands, palms up, just right on your lap as as we receive from the Lord what he has for us today. Father in heaven, it is with open hands and open hearts that we are here today ready to receive what you have for us. Father, we know that you are the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. You have been our God. You have been faithful to us in our past. You are our God. You are faithful to us right here in this moment, at this time, in this place. And Lord, we know that you will be faithful. You will be our God. So because of that, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would get rid of any fears because we have nothing to fear. Father, I ask that you would remove anxieties Jesus, in this moment, I ask that you would give us a picture of the kingdom to come so that we would live into that reality. We would join you, Holy Spirit, in the renewal and the redemption of all things. I pray that your name would be honored as holy. Your kingdom would come and your will would be done right here in this room as it is in heaven. We pray all these things in your son's name, by the power of the spirit and all God's people said, Amen. 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 We are in a sermon series and for almost an entire calendar year now, we've been in the gospel according to Matthew. We started it last January, which is almost a year ago now. It's crazy that it's almost 2024 and we have been looking over and over and over again at The kingdom of heaven. What is the kingdom of heaven? And if you let it, this book will change your life, right? I really appreciated how Tom started last week when he talked about what he had learned and how the the Holy Spirit and the scriptures were teaching him. So I wanna take a moment and do that too. One thing I've been challenged with in this study so far in this sermon series on Matthew is to see the kingdom of heaven from Monday to Saturday. As in to see God in everything. I think it's easy for me to see God and to live in the kingdom of heaven on Sunday mornings or in small group or when I'm thinking about Jesus-like things. But what I've been challenged with is the reality of the kingdom of heaven, the reality of God all the time, Monday through Saturday, every, every day of the week. And um, my favorite beatitude is, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. And that's something I've just been challenged with recently too. Just like to, to be pure in heart is to will one thing, to desire one thing. And God, and Jesus promises that when you are that, then you live in the kingdom of heaven now. So that's something that I've just been, I've been loving and being challenged in and being encouraged in, so I hope that's encouraging, and I hope actually we can become a church that can share continually and share regularly what the Lord is teaching us, what the Lord is speaking to us, not just in small groups, yes, in small groups, not just in church, yes, in church, but like regularly, like making it, and not in like a cliche, shallow, trite way, like obligatory, like, oh, I gotta, but if we believe that God is speaking to us, that God is leading us, that the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead now lives in us, I wanna be talking about that all the time. So I hope that we can become a church like that because heaven is now, eternity is now, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and Jesus is making all things new. Do we believe that? Jesus is making all things new, and you know how he starts? Where does he start? He starts by approaching you. By coming near to you, by looking at you, (coughs) by seeing your brokenness, seeing your sin, seeing your pain, seeing your exhaustion. And he doesn't run away from it. In fact, most times we run away from him. He's making all things new by looking at you, and if you'll let him, he will touch the deepest longings of your heart and your being, and he will transform you. And he will give you a life that is abundant, that is eternal, that is filled with himself. Where there's no death, there's no sickness, there's no decay, there's no anxiety, it's just life and life to the full and then when we're renewed and when we're transformed and when we're redeemed then we can see where he's working in everybody else oh jesus is working over there i'm going to partner with him oh jesus is working over there he he made me new he redeemed me i'm i'm joining him for the redemption the renewal of all things that's what i want that's what i see in the scriptures And that's good news. So the gospel according to Matthew, gospel means good news. The good news according to Matthew, we've been going through it in five different movements. And each movement ends with a significant teaching of Jesus. So uh, there's a lot of narrative. There's a lot of teachings. There's a lot. And we're going to be in Matthew for another year and a half or so. So I just want to back up real quick because this is the last sermon in Matthew for this calendar year. I want to back up real quick. Get an overview of Matthew again. If you notice, there's five circles at the bottom, five little graphics and images at the bottom. That's not coincidental. And we're just gonna look at each of the movements. So this spring, we're in movement number one. And this was, uh, this was when Jesus, was, this is Jesus' birth story. This is Jesus' inauguration to his ministry. When he was baptized, the Holy Spirit came on him. We talked about Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, his calling of the disciples. And then the first movement ended with the first teaching of Jesus which we call the Sermon on the Mount, which is why our graphic for that movement had a little mount. I guess it has two mountains, like upside down check marks. That's where they are. Sermon on the Mount. And, And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told us what life in the kingdom of heaven looks like. Since October, we've been in movement two, in movement two, and immediately after the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus comes down the mountain, and he just goes on this miracle blitz, like it's just like miracle, 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 and what he's doing us, or what he's doing is he's showing us what the kingdom of heaven looks like. The Sermon on the Mount was him him telling us, and then he's showing us what what uh, what the kingdom of heaven looks like. It looks like a place where there's no disease, there's no sickness, there's no sin, there's no brokenness. And when you bump into Jesus, you're getting a picture of the kingdom of heaven, what it's gonna look like. And in Matthew chapter 10, this is how movement two ends, it ends with Jesus giving what's called the missional discourse, the missional discourse. We've been in this for a few weeks now where basically Jesus takes his disciples and he says, all right guys, come here. I have been doing all these, I've been saying these things and doing these things. Now I want you to go on mission for the renewal of the city and I want you to say all these things and you to do all these things. That's Matthew chapter 10, the missional discourse. And that's why we have little footprints because going on mission means, I don't know, walking, going, doing something. So that's why you have footprints. Starting in January, we're going to look, be in Movement Three. There's more narrative, more stories of miracles, more all these things. And then the next teaching that ends Movement Three is called the Parable Discourse. Jesus, this is gonna be really fun and really confusing. It'll be next March, April. We'll we'll get into Matthew chapter 13. And basically, Jesus starts just saying all these parables. This is what the kingdom of heaven's like. This is what the kingdom of heaven's like. This is what the kingdom of heaven's like. And almost all of them have to do with seed, dirt, plants, agriculture things, which is why we have a little plant there because it's the parable discourse because he's talking about what the kingdom of heaven looks like. Next, spring, summer, we're gonna be in movement four. Movement four is more narratives, more stories of Jesus, things like that. And then movement four, Jesus ends with this teaching called the community discourse, or the discourse on community. Basically, he pulls his disciples aside and he says, this is what it looks like to live in community with one another. This is where we get texts like like the confrontation text that everybody loves to take and quote out of context. No offense if you've done that, I've done that too. Where it's like, if your brother sins against you, confront him. If he doesn't listen there, bring him from two people, confront him then, and if he doesn't listen there, then bring him from the church, and then if he doesn't do that, then this is also where we get the text um, where two or three are gathered, there I am with you. So Matthew 18 is the missional discourse, or I'm sorry, the community discourse, where Jesus is saying this is what life looks like when you live in community with God's people. That's movement four. Movement five, this will be next fall into Easter of 2025. Can you believe that we're that far ahead in our sermon series plot prep and planning? And this is basically, um, Jesus has this final discourse in Matthew 23 to 25. It's a really, really long one. That's why it's gonna take a lot longer. And what he does in chapter 23 is he goes on the offensive and he attacks the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he says, Woe to you, for you strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. Woe to you, for you travel over land and sea to make a single convert make them twice as much a son of hell as you are. I mean, it is intense. Then after that chapter, Jesus doesn't slow down. and He starts talking about the end of the world and how this is what's going to happen. These are the things that's going to go on. And, and, and it's not like a prediction as much as it is like a, prof, like a genuine prophecy saying, like, this is, will happen every single generation from here on out. And that's what leads Jesus to get crucified. And uh, movement five ends with Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. So that's the Gospel of Matthew. Five movements, five significant teachings of Jesus interspersed with stories and narratives of miracles and conversations that he has. But we're in movement two. So sorry to, you know, that's a little teaser trailer for the next year and a half. We're in movement two right now, which is the missional discourse. This is where Jesus, again, he pulls his disciples towards him. And he says, I have been saying these things and doing these things, and now I actually am gonna send you out to say the exact same thing and to do the exact same things. Now, the word mission, right? This is the missional discourse, the missions discourse. The word mission means a lot of things to a lot of different people. And it can bring up a lot of feelings or thoughts or past experiences or expectations. In my own experience, it actually kind of brings up this like, almost like this obligatoriness with it, like whenever you hear, the, whenever I hear the word mission, this is my experience, I'm not trying to project, whenever I hear the word mission, it's like, oh great, like I gotta do something, or I gotta like volunteer for a few hours at this thing. And so the word mission brings a lot, can bring a lot of these different definitions and different ideas to the table, but we can't get rid of the word, because it's an important word, because one, Jesus had a mission, Jesus gives us a mission, This is literally called the missional discourse. And four, I don't know if you remember, uh, the word mission is literally in our vision as a church, right? Our vision as a church is to become disciples of presence formation and mission. mission. Presence formation and mission. We seek the presence of God in everything we do. We're formed in the image of Jesus and we're living on mission for the renewal of our city. So we have to have we have to define this word if we if we're going to talk about what it means. But in order to stand in order to understand what mission is, we first have to understand what mission is not. So here's a few things that mission is not. First, mission does not mean just mission trips. Mission does not mean just mission trips. Now it can mean mission trips, but it doesn't mean just mission trips. A lot of times the word mission is uh, associated with or synonymous with going somewhere else to do something whether it's you know help another church out whether it's another state whether it's another city whether it's another country and then coming back and then your mission time is over but that means that mission is only a part of my life the reason it's not just mission trip is because that means mission is only a part of my life not the whole of my life and the reason that this is uh, the reason for this is because if mission was just a trip if mission was just something that you could do on a Saturday afternoon or you could spend some money and some time and go somewhere else, it means that we can actually outsource our mission to other people or we can compartmentalize mission as to one part of my life rather than the whole of my life. So mission is not just mission trips. It can include that, but it's not just that. Second thing mission is not is it's not conversionism. Conversionism. Now I know it sounds like I made up this word, but I didn't, but autocorrect thought I made up this word because there was a red squiggly line under it, but what is autocorrect now? Um conversionism is a lot more than me, but anyway. Well, a conversionism is is um, it's a long story it's a result of revivalism in uh, a couple hundred years ago in, in America. But basically the goal of conversionism is to get you to think or say something different than you previously thought or said. So all its goal is, is to get you to say something or think something different than what you previously did. There's no discipleship involved, there's no relationship involved, there's no community involved, there's no church involved, there's no Holy Spirit involved in most situations. Here's an extreme example of conversionism, extreme example of conversionism. You're sitting in your living room on a Tuesday night and you're, you're not a, in this hypothetical situation, you're not a disciple of Jesus, you may or may not believe there's a God, you're indifferent, it doesn't really matter. You hear a knock on the door, somebody comes up to you at your doorstep, they hand you a little piece of paper and they said, if you were to die tonight, where would you go, heaven or hell? And if you say heaven, why would God let you in? And you're kind of like, oh, I, I don't know, like maybe, maybe heaven, I feel like I'm a good person, I don't know, and then they would just go on this diatribe about how you're not a good person and how you have no hope in anything other than Jesus' death, burial, resurrection on the cross, so do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? And you say, uh, yeah, sure. You may not believe it, you may not say it, but you kind of want to get them off your doorstep, so you say, yeah, sure. And they say, sweet, see you in heaven, they give you a high five, and then they leave. That's an extreme example of conversionism. Was there any genuine conversion? Probably, maybe, maybe not. Did that person disciple you? Did they get you into a church community? Did they care about your soul and your being? Or did they just want another number so they can check off? That's conversionism. When we say mission, we do not mean conversionism because it's awkward, it's cheap, it's kind of trite, and it's just not a real genuine relationship with Jesus. So mission is not mis- just mission trips. Mission is not conversionism. And finally, this one's the hardest, mission is not optional. Mission is not an extracurricular to following Jesus. Mission is following Jesus. I cannot just decide to live in the kingdom of heaven some days a week and then not live in the kingdom of heaven other days of the week. If I, when I read the New Testament and early church history and the saints of old, mission is just a part of who they are in Christ. It's not this obligation and it's not this add-on to discipleship. It is the very lifeblood of who they are. This is what I like to call the golden corral of discipleship. Golden Corral, you can pick and choose. I am an expert at picking and choosing the parts of discipleship that I want and I'm good at and ignoring or disobeying the parts of discipleship that I don't want or I'm not good at. Right? Like, oh, I'll take the discipleship of the easy yoke and the light burden. (laughs) That sounds great to me. But picking up a cross every single day and denying myself, that's not the discipleship I want. Oh, I'll take the, the discipleship that gives me the power of the Holy Spirit to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, cast out demons, but the power of God is described in the scriptures is actually weakness and foolishness into the world, and I don't want to be thought of as soft or foolish or weak, so I don't want that discipleship. And I can tell when I have a golden corral discipleship based on what sins I overlook and justify and based on what sins I'm sensitive to. So the point is is that I can actually justify and ignore and choose a discipleship to jesus that doesn't have mission and that's not discipleship discipleship is not i'm sorry mission is not optional it's a part it's a part of our discipleship to jesus so mission is not just a mission trip mission is not conversionism mission is not optional so if that's what mission is not then what is mission well here we go mission is participating with god for the renewal of all things We're gonna dissect this definition in a second. Mission is participating with God for the renewal of all things. First, mission is participation. Notice that word, it's participating with God. Augustine says this, without God, we cannot, right? Without God, we can't do anything. He also, the next part of that phrase is, without us, God will not. God wants to use us to bring about his kingdom his renewal his redemption of all things mission is not a human idea it's not that god is just, it's, it's it's god's idea god's idea god thought of the idea of mission first and he thought of it because of love his love for us he looks at us in our brokenness and he's like i'm going i'm sending i'm going to send myself even my own son to bear the brunt of that to save these people from sin satan death and hell Mission is God's idea. And so when we are renewed in Christ, when we are bought with the price and we are redeemed by the blood of the lamb, we now actually get to participate with God. We say, oh, God's working over there. I'm gonna participate with him. Oh, God's at work over there. I wanna participate with him. It's not just on God and it's not just on us. It's both. It's participation. Look again at uh, chapter 10, verse seven and eight of, of Matthew. Matthew chapter 10, verse seven and eight. This, is, this will show you that it's participation he says that jesus says this as you go proclaim the kingdom of heaven has come near heal the sick raise the dead cleanse those with leprosy drive out demons freely you received freely give now who did this already jesus classic sunday school answer who did this jesus jesus did this he says as you go proclaim the kingdom of heaven has come near where did he get that from well two three four chapters ago in matthew four however many chapters ago that was six chapters ago. In Matthew 4, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus was doing it first. Now he's inviting his disciples to what? Participate in what he has already said. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, cast out demons. Who has done this so far? Jesus. Jesus. He's healed the sick. He's raised the dead. He's cleansed those with leprosy. He's driven out demons. He has received freely from the Father and the Holy Spirit, and now he's giving freely to his disciples. He's saying, guys, look, I'm already, I've already been doing this. What I want you to do now is come and participate with me for the renewal of all things, bringing the kingdom of heaven here. Mission is participation. It's participating with God. It's not just, it's not, God does not just sit up in his throne and say, hey, go do all this stuff while I sit by and watch. And if you want to get a good spot in heaven, you have to do more stuff. That's not at all what God is saying. God is the one already doing work in people's hearts and people's minds. He's already doing the work in your job, in your relationships, in your communities. What we need to do is participate with him. We have the eyes to see what he's seeing. We have the hearts that break for what breaks his. We have the ears to hear where he's leading us, what conversations to have, how to work, how to act, how how to involve yourself with these different people. That's participation. Mission is first and foremost participation. Second, mission is empowerment, not obligation. Look at verse 5 of chapter 10. Jesus sent out, or wait, that's the wrong verse. Look at verse 1 of chapter 10. So sorry. Summoning his 12 disciples, he gave them, say it out loud, he gave them, say it out loud, Authority. Tom two weeks ago preached this. He, he asked this question: If Jesus were to walk into this room right now and give you that authority for one of those things—healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons, or cleansing lepers—how would your life change? I don't know about you, that question struck me right between the eyes. Oh my gosh, I wouldn't. He, he said, I wouldn't sleep. I'd go to everybody and I'd just be praying over them and I'd be laying my hands on them. Guess what, guys? The same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead now lives in you. Romans eight. Mission is not an obligation. It's empowerment by the living God himself. When we say yes to Jesus, when we say no to our kingdoms, we get off the throne of our own kingdoms and we enter the kingdom of heaven where there's peace, love, joy, uh, justice, abounding, all of these things that are true of Jesus. When we say yes to that, we participate with him and we are empowered. We are empowered. I have not, I don't know of a single story in the entire Bible or church history, where the power of the Holy Spirit rested on somebody, and immediately after it rested on them, that person said, well, I guess I have to live on mission for the renewal of my city now, because the Holy Spirit rested on me. I don't see that anywhere. If you find that in the Bible, please tell me, because I want to know. But it's not there. When you have gone from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, when you have been dead, and now you are made alive, you are empowered you are a new creation. Colossians says Christ in you is now the hope of glory, glory of the entire world and the glory of God. Do you believe that mission isn't obligation? It, it, it saddens me. It saddens me because so often I hear about people talk about mission and it's so disconnected from their normal day-to-day lives and it's shallow and it's forced and people, like, you clam up because you feel guilty that you should be doing more for Jesus. But Jesus wants so much more for you than that. He wants so much more for you than that. He wants to give you his life. He died and was raised so that you can die and be raised with him now. Eternal life starts now. The kingdom of heaven is here at hand now. Do you believe that? So, mission is participate, participating with God for the renewal of all things. First, it's participation. Second, it's empowerment, not obligation. And then, third, the renewal of all things. The renewal of all things. Well, what on earth does this mean? Tim Keller has this quote that he stole from J.R.R. Tolkien. So it's like a quoteception. It's like a quote within a quote. And he said this, everything sad will become untrue. Everything sad will become untrue. Guys, we know the future. We know what's gonna happen. We know that one day the kingdom of heaven is going to fully intersect and overlap the kingdom of earth. We know that Jesus is going to return. And we know that when he returns, everything broken will be made whole. Every sickness will be healed. Every fear will be silenced. God's gonna... God's gonna look at you and He's gonna say, These were all the tears that you cried, and I've kept them. And guess what? You're never gonna cry again. That's the future that we are sure about. That God's kingdom, which is a kingdom of peace, of love, of joy, of life. That will be a reality. And so if that's my future, as a disciple, if that's my future, then you better believe I'm going to start living towards that end right now. I'm going to start praying towards that end right now. I'm going to view my work as a place where it can be renewed, and redeemed in all these things in and through the power of the Holy Spirit. My prayers are gonna be in Ankeny as it is in heaven. Why do you think the entire Sermon on the Mount centers on that one phrase, on earth as it is in heaven? Because the kingdom of heaven has come partly, but it has not come fully. We're in the time between the times. We're in the overlap of the ages. We're in the already not yet. Jesus' kingdom's here, but it's not yet fully here, but it's coming, and I want it to come, so I'm gonna cry out to God, Lord, make this so. Make it so right here and when he doesn't answer, if he's silent or he doesn't answer, or he answers no, I'm gonna be like, that's okay because I know, it's, I know it's going to happen but I'm still gonna fight, I'm still gonna participate with God in, in the redemption and the renewal of all things. P- p- mission is participating with God. It's empowerment from the Holy Spirit and it's, in, it's for the renewal of all things. Is that how you view mission? Is that how you view mission? It's not how I, view mission for, it's not how I viewed mission for years for years of my life. How I viewed mission was the exact opposite of this. It was like, on me, I have to do it all. It was obligation, and it was just kind of out of duty, not for the renewal of all things. But I don't see that in these scriptures. Now, as we talked about last week, if you live on mission, if you participate with God for the renewal of all things, how will it be received? How will it be received from the world? And the answer is, sometimes it will be received with open arms. You you, you say, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus is Lord over all. All of these things are going to be true, and I want to participate with God in renewing and redeeming all these things. When you start living your life like that, in your thoughts, your words, and your deeds, how will it be received? Sometimes it'll be received with open arms. People will be like, this is amazing. I love this. They will embrace the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord, and they will be made new. But most times, it will be received with hostility. Most times, people will reject the message that the kingdom of heaven has come near. Why? Because when you say that somebody else's kingdom has come near, that means that I and my kingdom is under attack. It's threatened. When somebody says, The kingdom of heaven has come near, repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. What happens to me and my kingdom? Oh, I'm shaking in my boots. I don't want that. Because what do we like to do? What do I like to do? I like to hold on to my things. I like to be the one in control. I like to be the one on the throne of my own kingdom. So if I have to step down from the throne of my own kingdom and submit and let go, even if the, their kingdom's better than mine, whatever, it's still hard to do. If I have to do that, that's threatening to me. So how will the, kingdom of, how will the message of the kingdom of heaven be received? It will be received with hostility. And last week, Nate showed us that it's, it's not going to be easy. In fact, persecution isn't just assumed, it's actually promised by Jesus. He says, you're gonna be handed over to the governors, to the kings, you're gonna be able to do this, don't worry, because I'm gonna speak through you, but you're gonna be flogged, you're gonna be, treated mispo- you're gonna be treated poorly, you're not gonna get that job promotion, your neighbors are gonna think you're weird, like all of these things are gonna happen. Persecution isn't just expected, it's promised. So that leads us to today's text, now that I have not a lot of time left. Today's text, look with me at chapter 10, verse 26. Today's text does two things. First, it comforts. Second, it warns. Look with me at verse 26. Therefore, this is Jesus again. He brought the disciples to him. He's giving them, he is empowering them with the Holy Spirit. He's saying participate with him for the renewal of all things. And he just told them that uh, they're going to be hated. They're going to be really, really hated by everybody. But then he says this. Therefore, don't be Afraid of them. Since there's nothing covered that won't be uncovered. There's nothing hidden that won't be made known. Verse 27, what I tell you in the dark, speak it in the light. What you hear in a whisper, proclaim on the housetops. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying this. At the end of time, when heaven and earth overlapped once and for all, when Jesus returns in glory, everything will be made known. Every person who does not live in the kingdom of heaven who is wicked, who seems to be succeeding in this world because this world is not an upside down world, the kingdom of heaven is upside down, who seems to be succeeding. They're lying, they're cheating, they're doing all these things, and they're winning right now. That will be revealed. And Jesus' words, which are not popular, which are not intuitive, which are upside down to everybody, Jesus' words, will be revealed as true. So don't be afraid when people say, you're, this is seriously how you view something? These are seriously your thoughts on this? You're seriously gonna pass up that job opportunity because it's m- way more money but even though you're gonna like, have way less time with your family, you're gonna pass up that job opportunity to spend more time with your family? That's ridiculous, why would you do that? Everything revealed, everything will be revealed in the last day, so don't be afraid. He keeps going. Verse 28, don't fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill your being. Soul there, don't think soul like disembodied person. Think like your being, like who you are. Rather, fear him, God, who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. He keeps going. Verse 29, aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent. Sparrows are the cheapest uh, animal at the time for buying for sacrifices, Two sparrows for one penny. That's like the equivalent of one penny today or something like that. I mean, dirt cheap. And what Jesus Jesus is saying here is like the literal cheapest animal ever, like something that you wouldn't even think about having. You could have a 100 of them. God himself knows when a single one of them falls to the ground. Verse 30, even the hairs of your head have all been counted, so don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Guys, living on mission for the renewal of our city, participating with God for the renewal of all things will bring persecution, period. It will be hard. It will be uncomfortable and awkward. You will not be received well by some people if you're taking it seriously, right? What Jesus is saying here is like, God has you. God has your best interest in mind. If God so cares about the birds, remember what he said in the Sermon on the Mount? If he cares about the birds and the lilies of the field, do you think he's gonna care less about you? No, he's gonna care way more about you. He knows how many hairs are on your head. God is for you when you participate with him for the renewal of all things. So this text today, it comforts. But this text also, it does not uh, end as comfortable. Comfortably, comfort, whatever. Verse 32, the second thing that this text does today is that it warns us. Therefore, everyone who will acknowledge me before others, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. If we treat mission as optional, or as an add-on to discipleship, or as only when it's convenient, then Jesus will say, I do not know you. Jesus ended the Sermon on the Mount very similarly. You can say you're a good tree with good fruit as much as you want, but if you're producing bad fruit, if you don't actually do what Jesus says, doesn't matter. He's going to say, I, I never knew you. Even though you were prophesying and planting churches and doing all these things, I actually never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Acknowledging Jesus before others isn't mere lip service. It's not saying, oh, I go to church or, oh, I believe in God. It is an entire embodiment of the kingdom of heaven in thought and word and deed. If we say if we pay lip service to Jesus and say, "Yeah, I go to church. Yeah, I I believe in God." And our lives look nothing nothing like the kingdom of heaven. And they look only like the world. What this verse says is that Jesus will look at us as a stranger. Verse 34. Don't assume that I came to bring peace on earth. I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. You're thinking, wait, isn't he the prince of peace? Yes, he is the prince of peace. But in this situation, what he's showing us is he's showing us the results and the warnings and the consequences of if you actually participate with God for the renewal of all things. Because there will be people who don't want anything to do with you and they might actually be the people who are closest to you. He quotes Micah chapter 7 in verse 35. For I came to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. Does this sound like the nice Jesus in the nativity scene that you grew up believing in? This is intense, guys. And I hope my tone is, is conveying that. It's both comforting and it's both very, very intense. In Micah chapter seven where this verse is from, where Jesus is quoting from, Micah is talking about the messianic age, when the Messiah will come. He will come and Jesus is a terrible negotiator. He wants all of you or he wants none of you. And so he will come and if he takes all of you, it will mean that you might have to release relationships that you have. When you start taking Jesus seriously, when you start participating with God for the renewal of all things, when you start say, talking about God every single day from here on out, people are gonna be like, okay, are you, you might be taking this a little too seriously. Like, isn't that just like what you say on Sundays? Or like you actually, you actually believe that? Are you actually not anxious about this thing? Are you actually not gonna gossip? Come on, don't be a prude. You will cause division in your relationships. And, G- and what Micah is saying and what Jesus is saying is that time is now. Remember, remember the, the illustration we have of heaven and earth overlapping? Heaven is the top circle, earth is the bottom circle. They're overlapping, right? If you are living in between right now, i.e. you're in the kingdom of heaven, you're in the already not yet, that means you're not, you're not fully where you're supposed to be on either, right? Like you're not fully in heaven yet, but you're also not fully on earth anymore, which means that, the, that, that people who are not in, the, in Christ and in the kingdom of heaven will be so confused They'll be turned off. They'll be weirded out by you. They'll be annoyed by you. They'll be like, okay, stop. I I can't do this. And so this is what Jesus is saying. Your, Your enemies might be the members of your own household. And then he keeps going. Verse 37. The one who loves a father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The one who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Anyone who finds his life will lose it. Anyone who loses his life because of me will find it. In other words, if you do not deny yourself, if you do not get off the throne of your own heart, if you do not put the needs of others above the needs of yourself, then you have no place in the kingdom of heaven. If discipleship doesn't cost us anything, it's not worth anything. This is intuitive. Think about something that means a lot to you. How much did it cost you? Let's use a car, for example. Say you spent a lot of money on a car. I'm not even gonna throw out a number. A lot of money on a car, like a ton. Like you had to save up for years and then you still went into debt to buy this car. It cost you a lot, which means it's worth a lot to you. If somebody were to run into it or bump it or something like that, it, you, you would be devastated, right? Now think about if you got a free car off Facebook Marketplace. I don't know if there are free cars on Facebook Marketplace. If there are, tell me. But think if you had a free car on Facebook Marketplace, right? It doesn't cost you anything. Is it worth a lot to you? Probably not as much as the really expensive car that you could have bought. So if somebody bumps into it or somebody dings it, it, it no sweat, right? If something doesn't cost you anything, it's not worth anything. If following Jesus doesn't cost you anything, it's not worth anything, He says it right there. Whoever doesn't take up his cross daily and follow me is not worthy of me. Now think about a cross. A cross is out of love for the sake of others. Jesus' cross was out of love for the sake of others. Our cross is not something like, oh, I stubbed my toe today, I guess I gotta bear my cross today. No, it's always out of love for the sake of others. In other words, it's participating with God for the renewal of all things. Now, I I know this is heavy, but this is Jesus' message. This is the missional discourse, and this is first and foremost an invitation. This is first and foremost an invitation. I can't stress this enough. This is not a, oh, you stink, and here's the hand to beat you over the head. Like, no, this is an invitation to you. Do you want to experience the kingdom of heaven now? Do you want to be empowered by God in such a way that you are bringing heaven to you so that when your neighbors interact with you, when your coworkers interact with you, when your classmates interact with you, when they bump into you, they bump into God. When they experience you and encounter you, they experience God and encounter God. That's what life in the kingdom of heaven is like and so it's beautiful and it will cost you everything. But notice the promise at the end. Verse 39. Anyone who loses his life because of me will what? Find it you give up your life if you say i'm gonna t- i'm gonna remove myself from the throne of my own heart and i'm gonna enter and worship jesus who's on the throne of the kingdom of heaven when you do that you're gonna get rid of everything your f- own family might start hating you but you know what i've actually gained my life i have received life and life to the full I enter into the easy yoke and the light burden of Jesus. I'm entering into the kingdom of heaven now so that we can say with Paul in the entire New Testament, no matter what happens, height, depth, angels, demons, nothing is gonna separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I've actually learned the secret to contentment I can do anything, literally anything that comes my way. I'm okay because Jesus is in me, the hope of glory. So this is first a invitation when we release control of our own kingdom and we enter into the, will we, will we release control of our own kingdom, enter into the kingdom of heaven and participate with God for the renewal of all things? So there's two questions I wanna close with. First, are you participating with God for the renewal of all things? If so, how? Think about your work. How are you bringing heaven into your work? How are you bringing God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, into your work? How are you resisting evil at work? How are you resisting brokenness at work? Think about your neighbors, your friends, the people that you interact with. Do they experience God when they experience you? And the second question is, how have you counted the cost of following Jesus? Because it will cost you this life, but you will gain so much more. And a follow-up, have you counted the cost of not following Jesus? And I don't know why I keep getting all the intense passages of Matthew, but I I can't apologize for it because this is what Jesus said. And so I want to sit with these questions. Are you participating with God for the renewal of all things? If so, how? And have you counted the cost of following Jesus? Have you counted the cost of not following Jesus? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we recognize that your ways are above our ways and your thoughts are above our thoughts. And we recognize, Lord, that to partner with you for the renewal of all things is as exciting as it is terrifying. And Holy Spirit, right now, I I ask you, I beg you, please bring to mind ways in which we are or are not partnering with you for the renewal of all things. Holy Spirit, I ask that you go before us the rest of this day, the rest of this week, so that mission would not just be an add-on to discipleship, but it would be the very being and the heartbeat of our lives. God, we long for the day when heaven and earth overlap again fully when your kingdom is here and you're reigning in peace and love and joy and justice and selflessness and, and no more tears, no more pain, no more sickness. We long for that day, Jesus. So I pray that through us you would bring that reality now that we would, we would pray with what you yourself pray, Jesus, on earth as it is in heaven. We want your name to be honored on earth as it is in heaven. We want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we want your kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. So Father, as we do this, we pray that you would not lead us into temptation. You would give us our daily bread and you would forgive us and give us the grace to forgive others. We pray all these things in your son's name and by the power of the spirit. Amen.